great sight. We were blessed earlier to be to see. Uh, I'm just struggling with microphones from week to week. I got the mute button off this week and forgot to put the microphone on. What a, what a beautiful sight we saw just a few moments ago to see uh, the Lindermans and the Brindleys up here on stage. And, and that's just a reminder to me uh, of the blessing we have here in this church of just having incredible caliber missionaries. I mean, God has blessed us with people that we get to support who you just absolutely know are doing an incredible job for God. And uh, we thank God for that. I hope we don't take that for granted. I hope it motivates you when Mission Sunday comes around in January, February, that we'll be prepared to give generously so this work can go on. In the 1950s, there was a failed attempt to bring pro football to the state of Texas. There was a a team called the Dallas Texans. They played for one year. Uh, they went 1-11 and they closed up. But before that first season, they took all the players to the middle of nowhere, a place called Kerrville, Texas, for their training camp. And while they were out there, one of their trainers was a man named Willie Garcia. Uh, the interesting thing about Garcia was that he had wood, one wooden leg. And they're in this really desolate place and they're practicing football and the football once was kicked and went out into some brushes and none of the players would go get the football because they were so scared of snakes and the snakes were everywhere. Finally, Garcia said, I'll be willing to go out and get the football because there's only a 50-50 chance that I'll get bitten. Well, guys, sometimes when it comes with us and Satan, I think we feel the same way. We're willing to go into the brush of life, into the places we maybe ought not to be, thinking there's just a small chance, just hoping that he will go after and bite the wrong leg. But let me tell you this morning, Satan is going after both legs. You don't doubt it. If you're taking notes this morning, write this sentence down. Satan attacks your mind, your body, and your will in order to destroy your soul. If you're new with us today, we're in the middle of a series called Soul Survival. How do we protect our soul from Satan's attacks? Listen to me. We understand he attacks our mind. We've talked about Satan as being the great accuser. We talked about him last Sunday as being the father of lies. One of his most powerful ways to defeat you is right up here. He will get in your mind and destroy your will. He will accuse you so long, make you so guilty, feed you so many lies that finally you just give up. Another way that Satan attacks us that we don't talk about very often is he attacks our bodies. If you don't believe me, then just go read the book of Job where Satan is able to go and attack the body of Job. And certainly God put some parameters to that. And then when you read the New Testament, the Gospels, there are obviously many people there whose bodies are under satanic attack. Now, the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time saying why our bodies get sick. Some of it may be simply because of the fallen world we live in. Some of it may be the discipline of God. But another factor often is that Satan may attack your body in order to destroy your will. What he wants to do is so discourage you about the physical that you give up on the spiritual. 
And so we've got to be looking because we're not going to be safe through that brush hoping he would go after the wrong leg because he's going after every part of our being. And here's a very effective attack that we talked about a few weeks ago that Satan uses on our mind and our bodies. And I call that the stuck accelerator. The stuck accelerator. And we talked about that about four or five weeks ago. Every life group I was in, it seemed like that was the number one answer of what Satan's modern attacks on our lives is just to get the accelerator on the floorboard. That's all right. But the problem is when it gets stuck, when you just move at a fast pace on and on and on. Listen, that's not good for your mind. You will wear your mind out. I I personally think many reasons so many of us in modern culture struggle with depression is that we're living life at a pace that our bodies and minds were never meant to live it at. And then talk about your body. You live on a stuck accelerator. You cause all kinds of problems to your body. And then in your soul, oh my goodness, what it does to our soul. We're so busy that God gets crowded out of our life. I like with a prayer that a lady named Ruth Barton wrote. Holy one, there's something I would like to tell you. But there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do. And I forgot what I wanted to say to you. And mostly I forgot what I am about and why. Because this frantic pace that we live at is not the way God intended us to live. Now, what is our counterattack? Our counterattack is the Sabbath principle or the Sabbath practice. You say, really? In this war with Satan over our soul, our counterattack is a word that simply means stop, that simply means rest. You know, if you're like me, I thought that the Sabbath was simply an Old Testament idea, you know, that passed away with the coming of the new law. That the Old Testament was one of those, that the Sabbath was one of those Old Testament rules like, you know, you can't wear clothing that's woven together of two different kinds of material. You know, that was a law back in the Old Testament. Or maybe the Sabbath sort of like, you know, when you see all those rules about what fish you can eat. And you'd find out you better not eat catfish back in the Old Testament, right? And, and so I've always sort of looked at Sabbath as just being one of those weird rules, you know, that really is over with today. But listen to me. I want to tell you, The Sabbath started before the old law. The Sabbath is not simply a a law principle. It's a principle of life. Let me tell you a few things really quickly. First of all, we're going to find out today that God is pro-rest. God is pro-rest. He wants you to have Sabbath rest in your life. But don't misunderstand this. God is also pro-work. You know, often we think work was simply a curse of the fall of man. It was not a curse. It was a blessing to man before the fall. God is pro-rest, but he is pro-work. In fact, if you get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will say, if a man will not work, neither should he eat. God believes in work. But let me say this. God is pro-rhythm. 
That's our key word today. Rhythm. God is pro-rest. He's pro-work. But he puts those two things together in that God is pro-rhythm. Look at the universe. There's a rhythm to most everything that happens with your body. You exhale and you inhale. With your body, you have your heartbeat. Look at that heartbeat up there. That's the way you want your heartbeat to look. You're in trouble when it just goes flatline. You're okay when it has times of beating and time of recessing. It's in every area of nature. Even today, we in America see all these fires out in the western part of our country. You know why we have that problem? One reason is because we have interrupted the rhythm of nature. One reason we have so many fires is that we have stopped so many fires that were natural. And that our forests are now so packed because of the protection that we've given them from natural fires that are meant to go through the forest every few years and cleanse it. And now we see these fires just out of control. You know, if we go to nature, there's the rhythm of summer and fall and winter and spring. It's the way life is supposed to be. We even go to the plant life. I mean, a very biblical principle is about pruning, all right? Now, let me show you. Here's a picture of a friend of mine's yard, all right? This is before. I want to show you the after picture after he prunes his plants. Let's go. (laughs) Now, I would not have these pictures if Tommy Bone had not shared them with me and if Tim Lee had not sent them to Tommy Bone, all right? This is my buddy Tim Lee and his pruning process. Now, I know Ms. Jeanette can get on to me because when I make fun of Tim, she gets mad at me. I've got Tim's permission, Ms. Jeanette. I asked him if I could do this, all right? He's proud of his work, hardest work he's ever done. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what pruning looks like, doesn't it? I mean, it's sort of an ugly process. But we know from what Jesus even taught that there are times of pruning in our life. Then when I called Tim for permission this weekend, he said, if you come look at it now, it looks pretty good. And guys, that's a part of the rhythm of life is there's growth and there's pruning. And guys, in every area of the universe, we see incredible rhythm. In fact, the only place in the universe that I can't find good rhythm is in the white church of Christ. <laughs> you got that one? <laughs> Many of us aren't anti-clapping. We just don't know how to clap on beat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but guys, in everywhere else, you see this principle of rhythm. Now, here's what I want to challenge you to. You need that principle in your life. In fact, here's the key to our message today. The key to unlocking a sane pace of life is rhythm. What, what, what is destroying so many of us, even spiritually, is that we're living an insane pace of life. You want a sane pace of life, you've got to establish rhythm. I actually believe that rhythm is a better word than balance. Often we talk about we want balance in our life, which also almost you know, implies that it's all even. I don't think it's all even. The, the key is not balance, the key is rhythm. And listen to me, this is something I've had to come to the conclusion about. God is not anti-busy. Now, I've used that acronym. Busy means being under Satan's yoke. And I understand what's being said there. But God's not anti-you being busy. 
But God, what God wants is you to have busyness with a break. What God wants is you to, 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 to go after it, to work hard with some interruptions. I know a, a time of peace in my life was a few years ago when I was just in my mind and to my loved ones just complaining all the time that I was just too busy. I'm just too busy, got too much going on, I'm just busy, I'm just busy, I'm busy. And I finally got to the point where I, I said to myself, buddy, you've been saying that for 30 years. Let's just face it, that's the way you live. You're busy. And guys, there's nothing wrong with busy. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with putting your hours in. There's no, nothing wrong with being diligent about the cause of Christ. But, but here's the key. Here's what you got to go. There's something wrong when it's uninterrupted. There's something wrong when the accelerator gets stuck. There's something wrong with all seven days of the week you are busy. That's when it becomes dangerous. So let me just tell you, staying nonstop busy, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in any area of life. It doesn't even work at your work. For someone to work seven days a week, hitting it is not a wise way to work. Every study has shown that. In World War II, you may remember the Soviet Union was being overrun by Nazi Germany. They had been working a six-day work week already. But when things got really bad, the leadership decided the only way we have a chance of surviving this war is to go to a seven-day work week. Everybody's going to work every day, 10 to 12 hours. And they did a study of it. And what it said was, when they went from just a six-day to a seven-day, productivity actually dropped. And since World War II, there's been all kinds of studies about us. And every study says there is a blessing to this principle of Sabbath that there be at least one out of seven days where you slow down. Now, often we feel guilty about it because we think, you know, if I slow down, I'm not going to be as productive. The truth is it's different. than It's exactly opposite of that. So let me tell you some things here. First of all, God had rhythm. We first see rhythm in the creation scene. We see the six days of creation. We see the crowning glory of creation was the creation of man. And then we see these verses, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Here's the seventh day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. Now, can I ask you this? Did God rest because he was worn out? Was God exhausted after the six days of creation? No. You know how God created the world? The Bible says with a whisper. God's not tired. What's God trying to do? God is trying to model for mankind the rhythm of life. It's a beautiful thing. Here he is. He creates man in his image as the crowning achievement as his ambassador to this earth. And then he rests. There's awesome stories from the ancient world that probably meant something when people read the book of Genesis. When a conquering king would go into a foreign land and conquer that land, what he would do as he pulled his troops out and still had the power over that land is that he would uh, erect images of himself. 
of the king would come in the land. And when he left there to remind the people that he was in charge, he would create images of himself. What a beautiful picture. Because that's exactly what God did in creation. When God created this world, God created images. That's you. That's me. We are to be the images of God that remind people of who God is. But then it goes further than that in the analogy. In the ancient words, when they would erect those images, maybe over a city, it would say simply this, the king rested over the city. What did that mean? That meant the king was still in charge of the city. It meant a reminder that though the king may not be present at this moment, he still reigns over the city. He rested over the city. And so here's the picture back from Genesis, is that God creates this world, and God creates us as his images, and then God rests over his creation. What is he saying? I am in complete control. And my friends, when we practice Sabbath, what we are saying is, This world can run without us. That I can take a 24-hour break and things are still going to be okay because God himself rests over our world. So God had rhythm. You get the life of Jesus, the exact representation of God, and Jesus had rhythm. Look at a couple passages that are pointed out. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, if you read context there, his disciples are a little pigged at him for doing this. They're ticked off that there's big crowds back around the house, and Jesus is out here resting, spending time in communion. Now, look at this, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often... Often is the key word there. Withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now listen. If anybody who ever walked the earth had an excuse to not practice the Sabbath principle, it was Jesus. Jesus knows he has three years to accomplish his mission on this earth. If anybody could have said, you know what? I need to reach every person I can possibly reach. I need to pour every miracle that's possible. I need to give out as much teaching as I can. It was Jesus Christ who could have said, you know what? I'm going to break the principle. But even Jesus knew for him to be who he wanted to be. There are times he would have to leave the crowds that needed to be healed. There were times he needed to leave the crowds that needed to be preached to because he would not survive without practicing the very rhythm of God. Now I remember growing up and hearing this prayer in churches. I thought it was a pretty cool prayer, but I don't think it's biblical. I don't know if any of you remember this. Lord... Would you wear us out in your service? Have you ever heard that prayer? And Lord, when you finally worn me out, then take me on home. That's not a good idea. That's not what God wants to do, is to wear you out in his service. Even Jesus knew there had to be rhythms in life to be able to be effective, and we did. So that's our point this morning, is that you and I need rhythm. We need rhythm in our life.
Look at this passage. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus is talking about this whole Sabbath idea. By the time Jesus had come, the Sabbath had been completely perverted. It was no longer a break, it was a burden. And so Jesus did all these little weird things to sort of tweak people on the Sabbath. Like picking some grain, which was a no-no. You're not supposed to do that, that's work. And there are all kinds of laws given back then about what you could and couldn't do. You could tie one certain kind of knot, but you couldn't tie another kind of knot. I mean, it was crazy. Even if you go to Israel today, you'll still see there's some pretty odd laws surrounding the Sabbath. I remember when we took our trip a few years ago, we were in Jerusalem. In, the, in every hotel on the Sabbath day, guess what? No matter how tall the hotel is, you might be in a 20-story hotel. Guess what? The elevator stops on every floor on the Sabbath day only. Why? Because for you to push that button for your floor would be work. Now, that's the kind of world that Jesus walked into, where the Sabbath principle had been perverted not to be a blessing but a burden. And so Jesus sort of tweaks that whole thing, and then Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Listen to me. The Sabbath principle is not meant to be a burden in your life. It is meant to be a blessing in your life. The Sabbath is a gift from God for us to live life at a sane pace. So I don't want you to walk away from here some legalistic view of the Sabbath. I want you to, and I to get the principle that's throughout Scripture that you don't do well with a stuck accelerator. That it's not good for you physically. It's not good for you emotionally. It's not good for you mentally. And especially it is dreadful for you spiritually. So let's close out with a template for practicing Sabbath. How do you do this? First of all, we have got to learn to stop, all right? We need to believe that often you say yes to God by saying no to other things. Now, like we mentioned, in all of nature and creation, there's built in this rhythm. And for a long time, it was built into life. You know, the, the, the biggest invention, it's in, in my estimation, that destroyed the rhythm of life was what? Anybody guess? Uh, somebody said football. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Electricity. Why, why? Because before that, you could just make it from sunrise to sundown. You, you automatically had to stop. I mean, we went to Malawi a few years ago, you know, before we hooked up electricity in that village. That's the way they had to live. But now, because of electricity and because of electronics, we can be plugged in, rocking and rolling 24 hours a day. And so what we have to learn to do, we have to learn to stop. I was talking with Kevin Linderman this week about life in Tanzania and what were the good parts and what were the bad parts. And one of the good things he mentioned was they miss the rhythm of life there. When you come to America, it's nonstop. And even when it comes to internet service, he said, we'll have it for a few days or even a few weeks. And then it'll go off for a month. He says, that's a blessing. And guys, we don't have, we, we're too sharp to have that over here. We got it together, at least it seems like. But what a blessing would it be for many of us if the internet would cut off for a month 
or if the cable would go down for a month, or if our lights would go off at a decent time for us to get some rest. Because you're not meant to live life 24-7 at a hectic pace. So you've got to learn to stop. Now, here's, here's the weird thing about this. You know, for most of us, it's really difficult to do nothing. Any, any of the rest of you that way? I, I, I just, I like to do stuff. But God says, you know what, buddy? You need to slow down. You don't need to feel productive every moment. Because sometimes when you stop, I don't know about you, I just feel a little guilty. I feel like I'm not being productive. God says, stop. Let me give you the next thing. Not only stop, but rest. Take time to rest. Again, it feels unproductive, but in the long run, it's more productive. you got to rest. I like what John Ortberg says in his one of his books. Often the most spiritual thing a person can do is take a nap in the middle of the day. I've just given you permission this afternoon to be really spiritual and take a nap, all right? What's he saying? We've got to learn to rest. So we need to stop. We need to learn to rest. And then the D is we need to delight. Isaiah 58, talking about the Sabbath, says you need to enjoy and delight in the Sabbath. It needs to be a moment where you stop and you give thanks for what God has done the other six days of the week. A moment where you have the time to reflect on how good God has been in your life. A moment when you have the time to go into nature and look at the beauty of God's creation or enjoy the beauty of your family and your children. Just slow down. Delight in it. Without trying to make something happen, just delight in it. And then finally, make sure your Sabbath includes communion with God. You need to commune. Because Sabbath principle is not just about you getting a vacation once a week. The Sabbath principle is about you getting time to commune with God. So don't just say, okay, buddy told us we could take naps, you know, and take a day off. Well, that's nice, and that'd probably be good for all of us. But let me say what you really need to do is allow that day to be a day of worship and a day of Bible study, a day of prayer, and a day of meditation that's, that's unhurried. You must, as the old song says, you must take time to be holy. Take time to be in the Word. So this week, I challenge you to take this template. Stop, rest, delight, commune. Because here's the problem. Many of us spiritually have gone AWOL in the army of God. And I like the way this acrostic goes out. We are AWOL because we are living a worn out life. You know, you know, to go AWOL in the army means that you leave your post without permission of your commander. You go AWOL. And guys, many of us spiritually have gone AWOL. Now really, it seems to me there's, there's two sort of extremes here. While many of us are not at our post in the kingdom of God. One is, for many of us, we've just become lazy. We, we, you know, we just, you know, we just decided to do nothing. And our place in the kingdom is vacated because we're not working. And I've been challenging about that the last few weeks. I'll challenge you a little bit more about that next Sunday. Because for many of us, our problem is not a lack of Sabbath. Our problem is a seven-day Sabbath. Our, our problem is not a lack of being busy. Our problem, it, it is a lack of being busy. We just, we just sort of become spiritual goof-offs, all right? And we go on AWOL. 
Now let me say this. That's not who I'm preaching to today. Today I'm preaching to those of us who go 24 hours a day, who are busy seven days a week. And one reason we may finally lose our spiritual motivation is we're just flat worn out. And sometimes it can happen not just in the secular world, but it can happen in the spiritual world. Because just like Jesus could have justified going at it 24 hours a day, spiritually we can go, man, there's one more person I need to call. There's one more Bible study I need to do. There's one more prayer I need to pray. There's one more service I need to attend. There's one. That's all good stuff, guys. But listen to me. Many of us go AWOL spiritually because we're finally just worn out. And what we must restore as disciples of Jesus Christ is a divine rhythm in our lives. Can I ask you as we close this message, is there rhythm in your life? Have you established that? If you want your soldiers to survive, I'm telling you, that's one of the most biblical, important things you can establish. There may be some of you today that you are just flat worn out. Your job is pushing you. Your family's pushing you. Your church is pushing you. And, and you're, you're just worn out today. Can we pray for you? Can we take a moment today for you just to openly confess, you know what? I've not lived in rhythm. Oh, I mean, you can do it for a while, guys. You can do it almost okay for a while. But there comes a point where you reach that moment where the lack of rhythm is destructive. And maybe you're there today. And you just need a break. And you need Sabbath. You need to rest. And here's what I want you to hear from God today. You have not only His permission, you have His example. And that's why Jesus was able to say these words. I'd like you to hear these before we sing our invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, many of you think if I really came to God on top of my already hectic schedule, you know, God's just going to add to my schedule. My friends, God might make you slow down your schedule. He might add some things here and there. But let me tell you this. What He will add to your schedule is a rhythm that will make sense and that will keep you sane. And Jesus says, when you come to me, it's not going to be an extra burden on your life. It's going to make your burden light. So this morning... I give a special invitation for those of you that are weary and burdened to come to Jesus and allow Him to make your load light by practicing an age-old principle that God lived out, Jesus lived out, and that to our detriment, too many of us are not living out. So today, if you need to come for our prayers, if you're worn out, if you'd like to become a Christian, if today you just need prayers about something specific going on in your life, won't you come and let us pray for you before we get out of here? Let's stand together and sing.